0: champagne hello everyone welcome back to are your parents proud of you i am your host matthew schufrider and i am joined by my fellow psychic slash andy richter
1: personnel what me yes you oh also what champagne no one gave me champagne you live in seattle yeah you could have mailed it no anyway hi i'm griffin mccorkle i'm i'm the andy richter of this program i guess uh columbia college alum andy richter yeah i forgot he went there yeah he's like our cool alum didn't bob odenkirk go there i i forget i don't know i haven't been on the columbia college alumni page at all i i yeah i don't i don't remember anyway um who's our guest We have a prestige guest on today. Oh, good. This is a great intro for for a prestige guest. Right. Jonathan Barry. Jonathan
0: has pretty much directed everywhere. Steppenwolf, Goodman, the Roundabout Theater in New York, American Blues, North Flight, Jackalope, Strong Dog, you name it, he's probably directed there. He's also served as uh, Anna Shapiro, the artistic director, and Tony Award winner uh, director for uh, Step as his uh, assistant director uh, for *Of Mice and Men* and *This Is Our Youth*, um, he has he has been regularly nominated for Jeff Awards. Uh, he's
1: been acclaimed pretty much everywhere. He's uh, done. He's done it all. He's seen he's it all. He's done it all. And did you this? But he hasn't done? seen everything. He hasn't seen it, yeah, like this show. An interview with you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so uh, Jonathan and I talk about his time uh, directing at Northwestern and teaching. You know, he teaches at Columbia College right now. Uh, and how does he feel about the world we live in right now? And when, when does he think theater can come back?
1: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so... Well, uh, I guess we'll, you'll all have to listen to find out. So right? uh, let's all sit back and, and grab some of that champagne that... Definitely. That was definitely given to us, um, assuming you're of age. Uh, I don't think we have any teens on there sh- listening to the show. Yeah, but, you know, we got to set it. We got to set a good example, right? That's what that's what people tell me, at least.
0: Well, we just told them not to text and drive. Everything else they can do. Okay, here we go. Hi,
2: Jonathan. Hey, how are you? Good nice to you. see you, Matthew. Good, thanks Good. For good. All right.
0: Yeah. Hanging in there. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's funny. I, I've been doing this show during this lot during this um pandemic for about 12 weeks now. Um, and every time I ask a guest up front, how have you been? What's pandemic life life like? And I always feel like at this point it's just become redundant. So I always want to change my the form of my question to what have you learned about yourself during this pandemic?
2: Huh. Yeah. Um that's a good question. I think um, I think that it cer- it certainly for me ties to um ties to sort of why I eventually became a director, right? Um which is I really do get um inspiration from other people and specifically like the rooms that I'm in and uh creating sort of collaborative experiences in those situations. Um so being sort of like bereft of that in this time has been, uh, yeah, has been has been challenging, but, but it certainly made it more like acute. Of oh, that's the thing that I, that's the thing that I really love is uh, that actual sort of like synergistic, you know, communication between uh, between artists in a room building something together. Um, I've had a couple of good opportunities. Um, I've actually been really, really happy to be um, back at Columbia teaching. I'm teaching three different courses at Columbia right now. Um, and that has been um, a really helpful engagement for me. It's it's uh, confirmation of, oh yeah, I think that I had the right career and the thing that I'm maybe best suited for. And I'm just not living in a moment where that is as possible as it used to be um, for sure. You, you you this is
0: your second time going back to Columbia and teaching you talked back there a couple of years ago is it
2: weird coming back
0: during all of this
2: a little um, you know I think the thing that is is really exciting about it for me actually is um, and you know, no no shade at the uh, at the previous students because there were some really wonderful students uh, back at that in that time. But I think like this particular generation and it has, it's been about, I guess, six years since I've since I've taught, but I feel like a lot has happened in this country in six years and this particular group of, cause I'm working primarily with, um, I'm working with grad students in one project, but then primarily with first years. Um, and it's, it is really exciting to sort of see how, um, How progressive this particular group of first years are in terms of social issues in terms of identity politics right like I think that they, um, they've taught me a lot and their engagement is really exciting and um, Again, nothing, nothing against the students from, you know, six years ago I had a lot of really, really wonderful students but I'm, I'm sensing a generational shift there that, um, that is palpable in the way that they are engaging with both the world and also the work um, that for me is really exciting.
0: I like that you said that you're learning a lot from your students. I've had a lot of professors on this show, and not a lot of them who have been wonderful guests, of course, but it's been a lot of them teaching them, the students, and not a lot of students teaching them. And we'll obviously get more into you as a teacher and a director later on. But just for right now, how important, even during, like you said, this generational shift, is it important for a professor or a teacher, for say, to learn a lot more from their students?
2: I think I think it's absolutely critical. And I would say that that is also, <laughs> first off, right? There is just a, a, a certain, uh, certainly a, like a generational divide in terms of like, technology and what um you know frankly just like the knowledge curve on that um like i'm 46 um, which is not certainly as old as like my parents but uh a lot of this technology is very very new for me and it is uh technology that the students for the most part are incredibly comfortable with and have dealt with actually quite a lot even like you know, even Zoom rooms, like the idea of living living and working and participating online in a sort of like filmed atmosphere is something that I think uh, they have just experienced a lot more of. So on the very, very base level, right, literally like the way that we are engaging, they are um, more adept at that engagement. And I think you uh, you fail to listen to that at your peril. But also, right, I think that the, you know, we talk a lot about Zoom fatigue and all of that, right? But um, for me, the listening to your students is also like a, a real uh, requirement of reading the room, uh, even though it's a digital room, right? And seeing, what they're engaging with when they're starting to sort of like drop off. And then, um, I think you have to, you have to be more attuned to what is the thing that is going to like pull people in and get them engaged. And like, for me, that, that is, I have some information that I'm supposed to, that I'm supposed to convey, right? There are some learning objectives, blah, 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 right? But that um, that can come in a lot of different forms. And I think in the same way that I feel like directing is about finding the language that is going to like make the actor have the most successful experience where they can be most fully participatory in the process. Um, I feel the same way about teaching is that it's actually my job to Figure out the thing that this particular group of people needs to best engage with this process, um, and yeah, you ha- you have to you have to tune in and you have to listen to them. And you know, for the the two foundations classes that we're working on, I'm teaching with two different um, two different co-teachers, um, but we chose. Uh, two very different plays because we were really trying to cater to like each group and each group had a very specific identity, even though they were still, you know, both primarily first years. Um, you know, I, I had a feeling like, Oh, this group is going to like this play better and be more able to like lean into it based on our conversations and based on what they've they've had and similarly like the other group I'm like although that play would actually be terrible for this this other group um they I don't think that they would get past like the first 10 pages but here's another play that I think that would, would serve their interest more um so anyway I think that that being facile in this moment and being connected to your students is uh for me right the the most important part of maybe teaching ever, but also like teaching in a pandemic, yeah. Yeah, I remember,
0: it's funny when you talking about foundations, I was like reminiscing about my time in foundations class and all the rowing on the ground and all the Carol Churchill's love and information, uh, doing all that fun stuff. Because, you know, that's, that's Columbia, uh, I say with I say with love. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I kind of want to take it back to you as a younger, uh, as a child. You grew up in Detroit. Your mom was a professional singer um what would you like as a child
2: <laughs> uh, i have a theory of uh of sibling development that isn't particularly tested but i think that you are um you are often like the the equal and opposite reaction to the sibling directly in front of you um so i'm i'm the middle child i have an older brother who's um you know uh a year and a half older than i am uh and then i have a younger sister who's like five years younger than i am um and so right as it this sounds like such a typical middle child uh response but the i think that you do you figure out uh Oh, I'm I'm maybe not getting the kind of attention that I want, or the sort of like full, uh, full brunt of the attention, particularly like when my younger sister arrived, right? Um, so I feel like, in some ways, pursuing, uh, you know, first music and then theater was, um, was a way to, to get a little focus and get, get attention, right? Um, you know, my brother uh, took up a lot more sp- space in terms of like a disciplinary way. Like he wasn't a typical um, typical first child in terms of like his, like he wasn't super interested in academics. He sort of, you know, pushed the boundaries a lot, um, which is frequently the, uh, the role of like the middle child actually. But um, because he was doing that, I feel like I was, Always pretty academically focused, always pretty interested in um, interested in school and then also found my way into uh artistic life um and I think so much of it too is just like luck of the draw in terms of like who your who your friends end up being right like there was a cohort of people who were like all around my age in my neighborhood um and they just ended up being like a pretty smart group of folks who if I wanted to like hang with, I sort of had to, um, I had to stay pretty academically focused in order to sort of like, you know, stay on their level. Um, and I we didn't move around. So I grew up with that same group of people, literally like, like they were my friends in, elementary school and I went all the way through high school so um you know I I I do I'm 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 grateful for those friends and you never right like the psychology of it is hard to sort of parse whether like which came first right like were they my friends because I was interested in the same things that they were or did I become interested in the things that they were because they were my friends and I'm not sure about the chicken or the egg situation there, um, but I do know that, like my siblings who did not uh, did not really like pursue much higher education, didn't seem to have much interest in that, like didn't didn't go on that path particularly. Um, you know, they they had a, a different group of friends and their friends were less academically minded less focused on that kind of thing um so you know it's not like my parents were raising us all differently so I do I weirdly think that it's 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 sort of more about your peer group than it is about you know (laughs) what your what your parents were doing um but I was I was like I pushed pretty hard to be um you know, in in the higher sort of like echelons of academic learning, like that's that's where my friends were, and that's where I wanted to be. And then I also like sought out attention through, you know, singing and then acting. You know, uh, in a nutshell, like if that's we can reduce childhood to a uh, you know a four minute uh, monologue. Yeah,
0: that's it's your own little uh, audition reel right there.
2: So. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll send right. it out
0: like I'm the oldest and yet somehow I still feel i'm the oldest of four and I still feel like the middle child because i was I'm the experiment child hmm. you know my parents had no idea kind of what to do with me they were my mom was 27 when she had me and so that and so she was very young and didn't know what to do with a six foot four very very lanky animated child and that's why and that's why she according to her she had three more um But still, like working it out, right? Yeah. yeah, And it's funny because my sister now does, she studies special education now. And and she's the one who's like trying to go hard and try to get the good grades. And um, it's weird because I almost feel like we need to take like a reverse course. Like she needs to be the older one and I have to be the younger one just in terms of careers. My career is kind of on hold right now because of this. And yet her career is skyrocketed. Um, Yeah of this it's interesting do you
2: feel a responsibility to like did you grow up feeling a responsibility to your siblings
0: yeah when I first went to college when um of course they didn't want to do theater like I wanted to do but I felt this responsibility of I'm going to show them what college is really all about and then halfway through I'm like oh this is not what I thought was going to be yeah And and I kept telling them about it and then they were like well we're not going to go the route he went on we're going to go on our own route And I think that helped them a lot more.
2: Yeah. How many years separate you? And is it your, uh, is your sister like the next oldest?
0: Yeah, I have a sister who just turned 21. So she's in her senior year at Whitewater, University of Wisconsin, Whitewater. Uh, My brother, my middle brother, who just turned 19, he just started freshman year at a community college. And then I have a younger younger brother who's 15, who's a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Yeah, we're all different. It's so, it's so... And I think just because of me being the experiment child, the other three have sort of found themselves a little bit more. While again, I'm I'm in a bit of a hold right now.
2: Sure, yeah, there are, there are a lot of people in that. I, I feel really similarly. Like, oh, this is it's a weird time in my life to be on hold, but <laughs> that's definitely what it feels like. Right. Um. So I'm I'm
0: I'm curious because yeah, you start you you started loving music first before theater. Um, was there was there something like that kind of stuck with you like oh, this is something i I really wanted to
2: do I mean, my mom is an excellent singer and uh and she did she uh pursued it for a bit and then stopped to have kids and still had a very sort of like active musical life as I was growing up, but definitely like it was less less of her professional life, although she did some teaching and things like that. Like the but, but the raising of family became pretty central. Um I got a lot of attention very early on because uh as a kid particularly, like I had a really lovely voice, right? And so I did a lot of uh a lot of sort of like boy soprano work and right like the, the you, you just I think you very quickly like learn doing this is the thing that is getting me You know the stuff that i want right like you know whether it's from your parents or you know your uh the 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 general public or the sort of like community that you're in right um so i think that i figured that out pretty quickly is was oh i have i have this thing that i didn't do anything for you know like i just i just sort of sounded like that um but if i pursued it um I got more of the attention that I was interested in. Um, and of course at the time, right? Like I wasn't thinking that way. I was, it was, it was just more of a a direct relationship. In time, right? The, what I started to recognize was that, that music was obviously like my mom's, uh, you know, sort of niche, right? And she's teaching it and she's known in the community for it. and. Um, and I think at some point as I was entering like probably junior high, right? Um, I started to become more interested in, I think, uh, acting because uh, because it was different than what my mom was doing, right? I wanted to separate myself. There were a couple of like really bad voice lessons. Like I totally don't recommend trying to take voice lessons from your mother um, because you're just going to, you know, like, how the, your, your teacher is supposed to be in, in that kind of situation, you know, like, providing helpful criticism in order to, like, get better. And, you know, it's really hard, in the best of circumstances, to get criticism from your mom. Um, so, anyway, all of that is to say, I, I think, at some point, it started to shift, and I discovered, oh, I think maybe acting is... Um, First acting, right, is is more the thing that I am interested in. That pivoted again after I got out of um, after I got out of college, uh, but right, I think at the time it was definitely oh I'm not going to pursue music because that's the thing that my mom pursued. Um, I want to I want to do something else that is sort of my own territory. Um, yeah. So that was the the sort of primary I think motivating force, you know, it started with oh, this is getting me attention that I you know clearly desperately was seeking. Um and then uh and then it was about wanting my own lane that was separate and different from my mom's. I still love singing. I still love music. I still sort of think I wonder if that's the thing that I should have pursued uh but like, I wonder if that's where more of my sort of base base level of talent lies. You know, it's weird as a middle aged person to be thinking about that. But um, I do have questions. You know. Yeah. Um, anyway,
0: I, I I mean, you you were saying about your mom giving you lessons. I when I was playing saxophone, my dad was trying to help me. He doesn't know a jack nothing about the saxophone. <laughs> But yet, yeah, he'll be in the basement helping me. He's like, he's like, are you sure it sounds right? What about this A chord? I'm like, that, there's no such thing, Dad, as an A chord on the saxophone. He's like, you sure? It's what the book says. I'm like, Dad, that's the letter A in a sentence. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're, yes, yeah. Please, please don't uh, provide any sort of like unneeded expertise here, right? Right, yeah, right.
0: So you went to the University of Michigan, you got a B.A. in the fine arts, um, and then that's when you shifted gears from acting to directing. Do you remember when that shift occurred?
2: Yeah, I mean, I had an interesting path. I really, I mean, hanging on to the music thing, uh, I had my most success as a, like, actor in high school as, as a musical theater actor. Um And so I really thought that's what I was going to do. Um, And and University of Michigan has a really, really, really excellent musical theater program. Um, And I was sort of cavalier about it, right? Like both of my parents went to U of M. I sort of thought I'll I'll probably get in there. My grades are pretty good, Um, which was true. but I absolutely like underestimated the level of, um, the level of student that was going to be uh, applying to get into that musical theater program, you know, because I hadn't experienced anything except for like, you only experience your own experience, right? Um, So what I knew was without too much effort or sort of outside skill building, I was sort of at the top of my high school class. I was getting like most of the roles that I wanted, right? Um, and didn't seem to have to work too hard for it. Uh, so I just sort of assumed that that would be, you know, that would continue to be my experience. Um, so I auditioned for the U of M program, no lie, like three times. I didn't get in the first time, um, but I also applied to uh, their literature science, the arts college, Um, got into that, didn't get into the musical theater program. So started my uh, U of M career as like a communications major, um, auditioning for a bunch of student theater, getting into a lot of that. Um, But then continually, like every year when the auditions came around, would go back. They did twice yearly auditions, right? So I would like audition, Basically every six months for the musical theater program, and be told, you know, again that I wasn't uh, that, that, that I wasn't right for it. Um, but I really felt like I should be doing it. Um, fortunately, I finally got wise and started auditioning for the theater program as well. So I think I auditioned three times for musical theater and twice for regular theater in the course of like two years. Um, and I still didn't get in. I really felt like, what the hell, right? Like this is, I'm pretty sure this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I seem to be getting cast in these student theater things. I don't know what's going wrong. And I finally went to the person who, um, uh, ran the last theater audition that I went through and asked him like, what gives, right? Like what's, what am i doing wrong what what do i need to change in order to do this thing he, said, he looked at me and said i've got good news and bad news for you I'm like okay it's like your audition was neither uh so good nor so bad as to be memorable I'm like oh. great great but <laughs> He did uh, He did. then sort of say, I'm directing this weird production of Glass Menagerie that is taking place in a 1500 seat auditorium. It's a much too big space for the play. I'm adding a chorus of like 13 people to sort of like move around and basically be like living scenery. Uh, do you want to do that? Um, so I agreed to be living scenery for him in that production. As he got me into a couple of like non-major classes. And anyway, long story short, like I ended up in the program when the chair of the department finally got me in a class and said, oh, I think we maybe made a mistake. Maybe you, maybe you were meant to be here. But um, what I am grateful for is that it did create a situation where up until that point where I actually got into the program, which was like two and a half years into my college education, um, I had been figuring out other things to do and stay engaged with it, right? So I really ended up, um, you know, pretty self-motivated in terms of auditions and finding other things and finding ways to engage. Um, And while I wouldn't have in that moment said, oh, I'm glad that it took me two and a half years to get in, right, I think that in that pursuit, uh, I also started to get interested in well, somebody has to direct these things. Uh, I ended up assistant directing a production of hair um, and the director was really sort of like (laughs) not terribly well-suited for the job or the production. So I took a lot of those, uh, I took on a lot of those responsibilities. Um, And so it was all like backdoor ways to start to figure out maybe i'm not quite as good an actor as i thought that i was but maybe there's something else that that will be fulfilling in the in this career right like maybe i need to sort of start to rethink of rethink of myself i still got out and still thought i was going to be an actor and spent really like 6 years in chicago trying to be an actor um but still in the back of my brain was I directed a couple of productions in my last two years of school I had a really good time doing that they turned out pretty well like maybe that is actually the thing that um that I am maybe better suited for in terms of in terms of this I also like don't have the constitution for like the actor rejection circuit right like it's it's hard enough as a director, but it's, it's not as immediate, right? Like it's not, there, there's a much sort of like longer game. You don't like walk into a room and then walk out and get immediate like response of, yeah, you're good enough or no, you're not. <laughs> you <know>? um, <laughs> which I realized is a terrible mindset, but that was, that was my mindset. Right. Um, so anyway, like it, 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 I was grateful for the university experience because I had to come in sort of like a backdoor way into the department. And because of that path, I think that I started to pursue some other options that I might not have pursued if I had just been like immediately in as an acting major. Um, And I'm grateful too for the experience of, I might actually have to work for this a little bit. which had not been my experience in high school. Things came pretty easily in that department and that sort of career in high school. Um, but that's, I think, that sort of epitomizes for me like the shift of maybe there's something else and I might have to kind of like find a different path sort of through that.
0: And when, when you went to Chicago, was this when you pursued a master's at Northwest, Northwestern?
2: No, I... Um, I went to Chicago because my housing in New York fell apart literally like a month before I was supposed to move. Oh. Um, Cause I really, I did, I was getting out and like so many actors do at that time, right? Like the focus is almost exclusively on New York. And you're like, oh, I'll just go to New York and start to be, get, be an actor. Um, and it's sort of mythologized and idealized in people's minds. And like, that's what everyone thinks that they're gonna do um my housing fell apart i didn't have a lot of money uh to like kick around and look for a new uh new place while also like living in new york um and so my roommate at the time was supposed to move to chicago and it was a totally rash decision they were literally leaving that weekend to go and look for spots here and i said could you look for An extra bedroom. Um, I think I'd love to move to Chicago with you if that's okay. Um, So with no research and no planning, I ended up here. Um, And again, I'm incredibly grateful that I did because I didn't have the constitution for rejection that you have to have in order to sort of like survive in New York. Um, And I was able to find a community here, um, but it still took gosh, I didn't go to Northwestern seven years. I was seven years out of undergrad before I like started at Northwestern. So I spent probably like four or five being pretty singularly focused on trying to build like an acting career here. Um, Whole bunch of different things sort of got my interest back towards directing. started to sort of pursue that realized that I wasn't getting the opportunities that I wanted to uh so I thought maybe I need to go to grad school for uh for directing and wasn't looking at Northwestern because at the time it was the end of Bob Falls uh no shade to Bob Falls right it was the end of the Bob Falls's uh tenure at Northwestern and the program had sort of uh I want to say died on the vine a little bit, but definitely like he was doing a bunch of other things. I don't think that he was bringing a full attention to that. It was also, they were only accepting one director a year, which is not a program that I particularly wanted to be in. Um, but then my Steppenwolf mentor who had been sort of in charge of my internship, um, Anna Shapiro took over that Northwestern program and, upped the number of candidates from one to three, um, and and then also like I knew her, and knew first her level of work, but also her interest in my work, and it felt it felt like a much more sort of like natural shift. But um, it was it was I started I started that program seven years out of undergrad, um, so I was twenty nine when I started that program.
0: So uh, I'm not more curious because when you got to Chicago, you were seeing shows by like Tina Landau who did like the Berlin circle or like David Cromer who did like his version of our town set in the basement. What was about the Chicago theater scene that really grabbed your attention?
2: Uh, I mean, it was, I did. I got like really lucky. The first show I saw at Steppenwolf was, um, was Tina Landau's production of space. Um, And it was just unlike anything that I'd seen before um, in terms of like the physicality, right? Like I came from a pretty naturalism based program um, and the movement work was all sort of about supporting the actor instrument, but it wasn't particularly about creating staging and creating that kind of dynamism on stage. Um, like they were pretty entrenched at the University of Michigan in like naturalism at the time Um, so it it sort of blew my mind about what was possible and at the same time um, I was acting in a bunch of like the very first show that I was in uh, in Chicago was a tiny little new play by a new company that was taking place in Uh, the basement of the cafe Voltaire which for anyone who was around in the you know in the 90s like they know (laughs) they know what that was Um, but it we rehearsed in their apartment that was all the way up like off the Morse stop um, and it was all like that community that energy and that sort of like do it yourself and then throw it up in a basement right like I recognized all of that from my student theater days in, uh, at Michigan. And even though I had a little bit of both experiences, like my, the thing that was most interesting and gave me the most satisfaction at Michigan was this like, this do it yourself, student, student-driven theater. Um, so I recognized a sort of kindred spirit of the off-loop movement. Um, and feel really grateful to be able to, right? one of the first shows I saw at the Goodman was Mary Zimmerman's Odyssey, which was like spectacular and against sort her, of like awe inspiring. And it was, they had developed that sort of like physical voca- vocabulary, Tina and Mary, but they were sort of like, it was still relatively fresh and new in the scene. Um, and then you watch like David Cromer's, I mean, he did a production of Lanford Wilson Serenading Louie, which is like a weird sort of obscure uh, play that was, gosh, it was done at the, in one of the small greenhouse spaces. So you're sitting there and like, it's 50 seats. And what was the group? Anyway, I'm blanking on the group. Um, but it was Danny McCarthy and Sarah Wells, uh, Sarah Wellington and just like ferocious beautiful like the sort of the the most pure sort of naturalism that you've ever seen with these actors who were just like going at each other and I feel like that that cocktail of seeing that work seeing Anna Shapiro's three days of rain which is one of the first things uh in the first season of work that I saw at Steppenwolf and that was Tracy Letts and Jan Barford and Amy Morton in that beautiful, extraordinary play, right? Like all of these things did sort of like work on your psyche after a while of, oh, I'm so interested in the human relationship and how how raw I can feel and how honest you can be with that. And then at the same time, I'm incredibly excited by the, the physicality that is happening in some of these other places, the looking glass work that was happening at the time, Tina's work that was happening at the time. Um, So somehow I'm a weird product of like all of that. The house theater started maybe like three or four years into my time in Chicago. And that was unlike anything that, you know, that we'd seen before. Um, It was, it was a really vibrant, exciting time. And I didn't <laughs> you don't know at the when you're experiencing it really that this isn't this isn't what everyone's experience of theater is right I was just like oh this is this is what professional theater is, right? I did college theater and now I'm doing professional theater, and this is what it is and it wasn't until like I started seeing a couple of plays in New York that was like oh there's there's something very different that is happening in Chicago um that I'm really grateful to be experiencing and also seems to align more with like whatever my personal aesthetic was. Um and so right, you're all I knew was like every time I went to the, the theater, I generally had a really exciting experience. Um and that that felt like a great time to be doing work here.
0: Mm-hmm for me, I think theater kind of helped me kind of figure out who I want to be as an actor. I always wanted, when I was, when I got into theater in college, I wanted to be the leading man. And then I saw, I saw Downstate. I saw Life at Times of Dorian Gray at City Lit. And I'm like, you know, I like these character roles, these character actor roles, because in my mind, it's, it's not of it's just random choices. It's just try this, try that, which I heard of when I started college, but didn't really understand it or even try it until I started doing theater outside of school, which is how I became the, the, hopefully the character actor I am today.
2: I think that's what so much of Chicago sort of pushes back on, right, is that sort of really narrow definition about what, what a person can be. And some of our some of our like greatest actors are for sure those people who are who are probably more character actors at this point who do have a wider range you know k todd freeman and fran gynan from downstate were just like extraordinary tim hopper is not like your typical sort of like leading man but i will watch him do anything sydney charles isn't like an ingenue but i can like every single role that she takes on right is this sort of like rich vibrant thing and she can do anything um and i think that that i do appreciate that chicago seems to allow for a little more space in terms of like the definition of who gets to do what um and i hope that that now continues to extend right we're we're in the middle of uh a really important, I think, racial reckoning. And I think that um, Chicago theater in particular is sort of primed to be able to make that shift because of its embrace already of uh, like a wider definition of what's possible in terms of like casting and who gets to do what. Um, So I hope that gets to continue to extend that way. Right, for sure. Um, and I'm also curious
0: because you helped started the school Steppenwolf and I asked you if you wanted to take part and sort of lead into that, um, up until that point, have you been
2: teaching as much? I've been teaching almost not at all, right? Like I, the school started literally my, uh, my first summer in Chicago. So I arrived in September. September of 1997, I started my internship at Steppenwolf in winter of 1998, and then the first school uh, program that ever, like, went through Steppenwolf uh, for the, like, specifically the school of Steppenwolf started in the, the, that June of 98, um, and I was away for a lot of that summer, but they needed someone to come in for like the last two weeks and help mount their final performances. Um, so they hired me back to be basically like an assistant position for those last two weeks. And then the following year, I was like a full-time assistant and I ended up then assisting on that program uh, for like the first four years of it. And then finally, um, you know, they, uh <laughs> they realized that it was more of a full-time job than at the time the casting director was also trying to run the school. Um, So after four years uh, of assisting, they finally said, do you want to just run this? And so I, you know, running it at the time, I was young, like it was, I didn't, I didn't really know all that much what I was doing, so it was it was more sort of like scheduling and making people making sure that people got paid on time and right all of all of the the sort of like office support work that went along with it um, was the sort of like first the first four years of my running that program, um, but then but then i started to become a little bit more versed in viewpoints having watched tina teach viewpoints for those first like you know six summers um started to bring it into uh some more of my own sort of rehearsal processes and then finally like started to sub in a little bit there but that was definitely like i mean i it's such a weird moment right when you realize you know, oh, I might have enough knowledge, personal knowledge to actually like start to teach it and or convey it to somebody else. Um, Because I don't think like getting out of school, your immediate thought is, oh, I have the expertise that is required to like teach the thing that I just got done learning. Um, it It took for me like seven or eight years of practice outside of it. And even then... When I started to teach it, I felt a little bit like a fraud. Um, it was interesting. I was doing, um, I was teaching the last three weeks of the Viewpoints curriculum my very first year teaching it. Um, and it was the year that uh, Cliff Chamberlain and uh, Audrey Francis were going through the the program. Um, And so I really was just like copying what I'd seen Tina do. And Tina at the time was also like directing uh, this project in the garage space called Theatrical Essays, which was all this devised work and all this incredible work. So it was the same thing. Like I was trying to teach that to the school students while also like watching her devise a piece on it. And, and you could just tell the difference in skill level right like i was i was absolutely faking it you know um because what like you you don't there's no way to be good at it or, uh, originally like all you can do is is repeat the things that you saw somebody else do and and then hope that it can be effective and um and I really, really struggled that first year. And I remember they they had to send out like everyone always sort of filled out a, a comment thing at the end. And because I was also running the program at the time, I got to read all those comments. And I just got like torn apart. Someone who ended up then becoming like a really good friend was so mean to me in those comments. <laughs> like, was just like we're paying $1500 for this program and all of the uh, education that we got was so good except for this guy who didn't have any idea what he was doing and it was uh, it's terrible uh we can laugh about it now but at the time i was devastated um you know but you do you you try it a couple of times and you learn a little bit what works, but then I taught viewpoints probably for like three or four years before I I stopped feeling like a fraud every time I did it. Um, And then, you know, gosh, after now it's been, you know, nearly 20 years of my like teaching viewpoints, like I actually feel pretty good about like my ability to teach that now. but it's, it's been a long journey. Um, and I think that, right, that it it's, I'm grateful for the school because what I got to be able to watch was a bunch of like really skilled practitioners uh, in the ensemble uh, also try teaching, some of them for the first time. Um, and I got to watch what was successful and I got to watch what maybe wasn't I got to see who was who was better at it and what their mentality was and how they approached it um, so I got a real deep dive in like how you teach acting education um, and at the time it was just for me it was a job and because the job didn't have a lot to do when classes were in session right there's a lot of like passing time and there's a lot of right because the job didn't have a lot to do when classes were in session I sat in on almost like three years of classes with the school at Steppenwolf and like you know just because I was interested in I didn't know at the time that I was actually like giving myself an education in teaching acting but um, you know that's that's what I was inadvertently doing.
0: Right. Uh, I like that you are watching other um, classmates. You're watching other professors. Uh, like, I'm going to name drop teachers at Columbia. Like I was watching Meg thalken Laurie Klinka, Brian Shaw, Scott and like these Chicago based actors, yeah. not, not to just be a better actor, just, but if teaching is something I really want to do, how do I teach acting in that way? It's so difficult. And all of them just bring something new, which I gratefully take with me whenever I go.
2: Yeah, uh, Jeff Ginsberg. I don't know if Jeff was teaching when you were uh, when you were still going through Columbia, right? Um, but Jeff is a remarkable teacher, and uh, we hired him a couple of times to uh, to work at the school of Steppenwolf when an ensemble member wasn't available. And I do. I feel like I learned more from watching the people who like were really good teachers and who had dedicated themselves to teaching even more than the ensemble members who said, um, "Oh, I, I've got this summer off. Let me try. Let, let me try it this time around." Right? right? Like to watch truly gifted teachers, and I think Meg for sure is uh, is brilliant at it. Right? But um, it does that—that that changes the game and and makes you really want to achieve at that level or not do it, you know? I
0: don't know if you remember this, um, but we actually met back in March at Meg Falcon's audition workshop. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and you know, we've only talked, you were like, I did my two scenes and you talked for 10 minutes, but I learned so much just from you for those, not even 10 minutes, maybe even five, uh, just, just gave us the whole the basis of the of the Chicago theater industry. So, my hats off to you for that.
2: Thanks. Uh, I'm uh, I'm glad uh, I was so I, I was so glad to have done it, uh, and I'm excited to you know she asked me back again this year. But I think um, I've always I've always loved those sort of like those classes, particularly with Columbia students, because I think like. The Columbia education is such an interesting, right? Like how people find their way through those classes. Uh, it does. It makes me, it makes me always think that that the Columbia students who really like pursue that are, are getting out with an understanding of like how to take care of themselves mm-hmm. um, and get what they need out of a process, um, which I really which I really appreciate. And I think shows in that work at the end.
0: Um. Right, because when you were our last day and up until this point, uh, seven or eight of us were going through the grind of voiceover, self-tape, memorizing 24 hours kind of, of work. And you know, love, I loved everyone who showed up, but you can tell someone felt sugar-coated. Like I should have done better, but they were like, no, 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 you were great. When you came in, and this is nothing against you, we, you gave us no BS of, you, you, you go, you know, some of it was good, all of you have something to work on. And that, and I love that. When we walked out, um, someone goes, "Is he just gave us the most
2: helpful middle finger in the world. That was so nice. <laughs> I'm going to put that on my resume. Okay, I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> um.
2: You know, that, that, that comes, that does, that, that, that comes from the Wolf school and that comes from watching those, those actors teach, right? Because like those actors hold such a high bar for themselves uh, and man, right? Like Amy Morton is the best actor I know, but she's also like the hardest working actor I know. And she sets She sets a level for herself to achieve every night that is like nearly impossible. And then when she teaches, she, she insists that the people in her class do that as well. And it's not out of like, it's not anything that's abusive. It's not anything that is about like feeling better by putting somebody else down. It's, it's a true response, and it's an act of saying. Like, great, we we all want to be better, right? That's why we're here. Um, why why would we waste time bullshitting or lying about it? Um, you know, right? You can do it generously. You can do it in a way that 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 is encouraging, but also think that people know you know when you tank something or you know when it's not as good as you can be right and right like actually hearing (laughs) hearing praise that that feels like bullshit is I think uh gosh worse worse in some ways than hearing just criticism that's not helpful you know um because then you just don't know where you're at or what what to do next you know um but that that all came from from those early years of watching like the ensemble teach and recognizing that it is okay and in fact necessary to set a bar and insist that people clear it
0: yeah well speaking of clearing it's we're going to segue to this game that i've been promoting this game is called Time for Two. Oh, gosh. Okay. I know, right? No, it's a popular game. We played at every college party before we got shut down. Uh, we do two minutes on the clock. It's a series of random icebreaker questions. There's no right. There is no wrong. We're just curious to see what your opinion is. Great. Okay. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. How often do you ride your bike? Every day. Is Alex Trebek the greatest game show host of all time? I think that he is favorite West Wing character? Leo. If we had to put you in a horror movie, what movie would it be?
2: (laughs) The the very first thing that I came to was I Know What You Did Last Summer, which is a terrible movie, (laughs) Um, but that's the one that that came up, so I'm sticking with it. Great. Uh, Coffee or tea? Always coffee.
0: Ideal bedtime?
2: Uh, I am trying to get this... Earlier, but right now it's like twelve thirty or one. I would love to get it to eleven thirty. How how many how much leftovers do you still have from Thanksgiving? I I am working through it. I have one slice of turkey left, and I have about a half serving of stuffing. But I have been diligent and moving through it. (laughs) Favorite SNL character? Oh, ah, the. Chris Farley's van down by the river is one of my very favorite sketches. Uh, and I don't even know what, I forget what the, his motivational speaker is called, but um, I love that guy. Right. Are you a listener or a talker? <laughs> it depends on the situation. Uh, I think that listening is a the most important part of directing. Um, so I hope that in my work anyway, that I'm a listener. Um, yeah. Last one, Ted Danson. Your thoughts? I love Ted Danson, and I think that Ted Danson has recreated himself so many different times, and I am never ever disappointed to see him in a thing. Um, I think that I think that he's funny. I think that he's charming, and I actually think that like what he started as with Sam in Cheers, he is now like like parodying that sort of uh, bravado and that sort of, uh, that charm. Uh, and it feels like he's winking and it feels like he's in on the joke. Um, so I, uh, I'm pro Ted Danson. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I, how he play Time for Two. <laughs> love Time for Two.
0: And that, now you know what to play whenever this pandemic is over with all your friends
2: happy to do it. Although it seems to translate pretty well into the Zoom format. Um, Maybe that can be the the family Christmas party this year as well.
0: Well, now you know what to do with all your friends and family on December 25th. You're welcome. Well, Jonathan, my last question before we end. um, It's another hard one. It's, uh, are your parents proud of you?
2: They are. Um, They are. I think that the... I I I I pursued a thing that was obviously uh, less secure than a lot of other things could have been uh and they were very supportive in that pursuit in terms of like moving into the theater um they come they they're just in Michigan so you know when they when they are allowed to travel and they can travel they came and saw uh a lot of the work and I think that they were really really happy to see with the steppenwolf job right like to finally land in a place that had a salary and security and all of that um i it is it is not a lack of pride in me now but i think that they they do have right a concern because right suddenly the industry has changed a lot and suddenly like i'm i'm out of that full-time job with benefits and you know i think that they are still proud, but worried more than they were this time last year. Um, you know, like they 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 want security, um, but I think that they are certainly proud that I pursued something that I love and am passionate about. And I think they would love it if I had kids uh, and got married, you know, and did all of that. Um, but the career has been the career has been the focus and I think that they are proud of my commitment to that. Right.
0: Right. Well, Jonathan, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. This has always been fun to do.
2: Thanks, Matthew. It's been a huge pleasure. And I do, I, uh, I, uh, look forward to hearing, uh, you know, who else you talk to. And, uh, and I think that it's a, a really great format. What an episode. Uh, he is, a one of a kind and he's
0: so chill to listen to and talk to uh, my thanks to Jonathan Barry for coming on the show
1: yeah no kidding that this was a this was a great episode it's a great penultimate episode to help wrap up 2020 did you say penultimate I did say penultimate we are doing one more episode this year R- when's that gonna be uh, I assume next week right that's what yeah, we yeah. talked that's what we talked about um and oh, who's our guest do we know it might be we we do we do but here's the thing
0: we're not gonna tell you
1: yeah it's a yeah oh that's right it's a mystery guest it is um, a mystery guest yeah we're totally fooling all of you you have no idea who our guest is gonna be it's right? it's um look i don't want to say that it's definitely mark hamill but but it's actually Mark Harmon from NCIS. It's it's not either of those people. It's no, we we can't afford any one of them. Griffin, who uh,
0: Griffin, how's the um the jobs been going for the holiday? It's season? going
1: all it's going all right. I got a lot of jobs. It's a busy time of year. Right now, I'm currently acting as uh, the official tourism guide of Are your parents proud of you? Um, the, my the main m- in invi- the museum, the museum. Yeah, my, uh, which museum? Wait, there's more than one. Yeah, I I, 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 guide the tourists, and right now my my advice as a tourism guide is, uh, don't don't be tourists because it's <laughs> there's a pandemic. Um, I'm great at my job. Anyway, right? Uh, you can you can find Parents Proud podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and you can also Send us emails. I don't know. I'm going to be honest. It's been a minute since I've checked our email account. I don't know if we've gotten any interesting emails um, recently. But we got, you know
0: we,
1: what? Got w- we got one, but I can't say it on air. Okay. Well, you know what? Hopefully, uh, we get some more. And you know what? This, this is my promise to you is I'm going to be checking that inbox uh, on Christmas Day christmas day i'm gonna look at that inbox again and i had better see uh some goddamn emails <laughs> i could just see you in your pj's proud podcast you're in your pj's you're,
0: you're so you get out of bed oh boy i can't wait to see what the email brought me you come yeah. down by the fire you open it's the laptop
1: t- whoa yeah i don't care like i don't care if you have anything interesting it's like just, just email us just we want to chat
0: you make it sound like we're miserable.
1: Well, you know, people need people to talk to. It's 2020. Um, oh, we're, we're, we are so. This is a damn terrible close. outro, by the way. We're, we're saying Griffin. What? This is the. You know, this is the kind of professionalism that we lost when Connor left the show. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's so true. It's just us idiots now. Um. Anyway, uh, did we do? let's see did we do all the things are we ready what are we doing next oh we said that already all right uh bye everybody good night everyone fuck it let's just cut it